I still don't completely understand the way God works things for the good and why He does it the way He does. I just know that He does. There's a purpose in it. He made me stronger, He made me more aware, and He made me whole again. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. Today, we are bringing you a story from a live gathering in Tupelo, Mississippi. It was actually last May that they recorded right when we were done with the podcast for the season, and we're so thrilled to be able to bring it to you now. And so Gemma Smith is our storyteller, and Katie, tell us a little bit about her. Well, one thing about Gemma that I just love is she is so endearing, first of all, and so humble in the fact that she didn't think that she had a story to Mm -hmm. tell or that her story was worthy of being told. And let me tell you guys, she has so many beautiful layers of God just showing up in her life and just telling her that he's with her and that he can bring good out of any situation. You're going to hear her talk about becoming a widow. You're going to hear her talk about how God brought her a second marriage and how blending those families was difficult, but how God showed up there as well. You're going to love it. And before Gemma's story, we want to thank you for being a part of our celebration for our 200th episode. We had so much fun last week celebrating with everyone. And we appreciate the fact that y'all joined us on Patreon. As you know, we gave you a lot of free content during the month of September as we celebrated our 200th episode. And I wanted to tell you that this month on Patreon, Katie has done an audio devotion about being in awe of the presence of Jesus. You'll hear that talked about in Gemma's story. Mm -hmm. And so that was the prompting for that. And so if you're not a member of Patreon, go to the show notes right now and you can just click to join right there. We would love to have you be a part of our community. Here's Gemma. My name is Gemma Smith and I'm from Tupelo, Mississippi. I was born in Tupelo, now live in Pontotoc. And I am the daughter of Claudia and Jim Jackson and have two wonderful sisters and two great uh, brother, I was supposed to say son-in-laws, brother-in-laws and um, wonderful nieces and nephews and a great nephew. I also have uh, six kids, three that I birthed, two that are step but i don't consider them step and um, my husband's name's brent and we have been married for 13 years so we have his hers and ours and two dogs and angie loves one of our dogs (laughs) (laughs) so i'm gonna start off just bear with me because i'm i'm so grateful that i was asked to do it (laughs) and i'm probably gonna smack my gum because that's my nerves (laughs) i'm not nervous i'm usually not nervous i do this for a living i talk in front of seven eight hundred people all the time but so when i was asked to tell my story it was just like ripping the scab off of a wound that has always been there and i haven't touched it in a while here we go i've discovered many things over the last several months things that i've never thought about that's why i wanted y'all to say (laughs) (laughs) things that i haven't thought about and maybe i just didn't want to think about things i have suppressed I didn't want to cry, and I prayed about that all day, and I've already done that. <laughs> and, but I need you to understand that I'm not crying about the pain. It's the love and grace and the comfort and peace God has provided. It's you that, it are, that are sitting here that gave, got me through everything. Your faces, hugs, and prayers. And just being there for me and the kids. I cry because I'm just so thankful for you and for God never leaving me. Both are just overwhelming, overwhelmingly good to me. 
<clears throat> so now everybody has to turn around so I can't see you. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to make a deal, which I've already broken. I won't cry if you want, but I'm already crying, so I lied. All right. So I'm really going to cry in like three spots. It was only going to be two, but then Vicky walked in. <laughs> uh, all right. So where do I begin? My mind is going in a million places. There's, there's so much to say, but how do I choose what to say? Right now, I can say I'm very nervous and have been since Tina and Cindy and I talked. And uh, I'm not nervous about telling y'all. I'm just nervous about how you'll hear it. If it, if it will matter, if it will help. And I cuss way too much to be doing this. <laughs> way too much. <laughs> so I'm just going to pray that I don't cuss. <laughs> <laughs> my first thought when asked to do this is I'm not worthy enough to tell my story. My life at times does not reflect my love for Jesus. So will it have meaning? meaning? Will people say, yes, she's had a good story? but she doesn't lead a good life. So back in January of this year, we were doing a sermon series on replanting. Will, our pastor, Will Rambo, was pre preaching out of John 8, 1 through 11. And it was about the woman who was caught in adultery. And um, they were just throwing her private stuff out there. And uh, it was brought to light, and the crowd was trying to trap Jesus into saying, okay, um, and use it against him. Because the law of Moses had said to stone her to death. Um, but Jesus came back with, you, you who have not sinned, throw the first stone. So, I mean, that was a major mic drop moment. Um, Jesus received her with compassion and grace. She experienced grace and her slate was wiped clean. He said, go live a new life. I've thought about that sermon a lot. And my life has been and still is full of ugly, filthy sin. But God has given me grace. A grace... And grace gives us each day, day by day, to improve. Grace and truth together, this is what Will said, grace and truth together gives us transformation. Grace means we are fully loved with everything we, we drag into our lives. That sermon, and then Will and Garrison preached another sermon a couple of months ago. And it's just helped me write my story. And uh, so it, it was in the sermon series resilient i don't know if y'all remember that and they were preaching out of um, mark 9 2 through 13 and it's when um jesus took peter and james and john up to the mountain and uh when he when jesus walked out his clothes were just as bright as ever and it was just it was nothing like they had never seen and so peter was just in awe and became speechless and will started asking you know what is that speechless moment in your life? What, um, what's the mo most beautiful thing you've ever seen? So, I mean, without a doubt, I mean, it, it, I was thinking, of course, the day that I birthed all three of my kids. I mean, that was the most happiest day of my life. It was emotional. It was, it was just an experience that, you know, as mothers, that we get the, a blessing to experience that. So that was my, my thought. And then he asked, when was the last time that you were speechless because of God's goodness? And I realized that day that I wasn't in awe enough. I, I needed to be just like Peter in the scripture and just be speechless at times. And I think he said, you know, last Sunday, are we just checking church off as a, as a something that we do that week? 
Is it just a checkoff? Is your daily devotion just a checkoff? Okay, well, I did that. And I, I feel like I had gotten to that routine of just being, okay, I've done it. Let me go on. And I'd taken the awe out of that and the speechlessness out of, out of that. So I realized that day that I needed to be in awe. So there are captivating moments in my life, times when I was speechless and in awe, the times when I couldn't speak, or a time when I cried because I was in awe of what he had done, and the time I cried out to him because I was hurt and begged for him to fix it. We can all think back on those moments that stand out and took meaning. We remember little moments. Moments like the day we rode our, rode our bike without training wheels. The day you got your driver's license. Your first kiss, and on and on and on. Good and bad, we all have them. But what are the ones that are the most vivid? The times that you completely felt His presence. When you knew that, that He was there, there was a peace over you. So there are several things in my life that have molded me into the person I'm da- I am today. The good ones, the hurting ones, and just the plain bad ugly ones. The day I had Addie, my firstborn, was the vivid memory I was talking about. I can remember that very last push and just being over, something just overcame me. It was, just, it was His Spirit just overcame me. And I was laughing and I was crying all at the same time. And it was just, I don't know, I looked at Doug and I was, it was just happy, 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 happy. And, and I, it was probably more profound with Addie because that was my first one. But it, I felt like that in all three. But, you know, when you were, I was laughing and crying. And I don't know if that was just, you know, a God moment or he was playing a trick on me because Addie's just like me. And um, all you can do is laugh and cry. <laughs> so these times define me, the bad times define me. From about age of 15 on, I have made some not so good choices. <laughs> Choices that hurt me and my parents, and I'm pretty sure my mom spent most of my teen years and probably college years on her knees begging for God to protect me and change my wicked ways. (laughs) I was raised in church. My mom got her three girls up early every Sunday morning for Sunday school and big church. We were dressed to the nines and our hair was on point. We, We were at church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and sunrise services on Easter Sunday. That was early. (laughs) We went to Bible school every summer, which I hated. I hated Bible school. (laughs) I hated the, I don't know, I just, I didn't like it. I hated watered down Kool-Aid. And the only thing I liked about it were the cookies that you could put on your fingers. (laughs) So, um, that might explain a few things. Uh, I went to church, I went to church camp at every church camp that they offered. I um, even spent two weeks out in California at Second Wind. Um, those were wonderful, wonderful defining moments. My times at East Heights Baptist and youth and um, my good friends Jerry and Priscilla, um, they they helped mold me and teach me. I didn't realize it then, but now I realize it even more how much they they molded me. So I knew God and I believed in Him and I loved Him. I just loved to have a good time. That's why I think when people look at me, that's all they see. I've always worried about that. In college, I was the same. I did actually graduate, much to everybody's surprise. And within two weeks of graduation, I had my own job, had my first job. And that's one thing I like doing is proving people wrong. Because I think a lot of people had had the cards against me saying that, oh, she'll probably never graduate, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. 
Well, I proved them wrong. <laughs> so I graduated um, Mississippi State and I majored in educational psychology, minor in fun. And I was not in a sorority or anything like that. That just, that's not me, as you can tell. Um, so I learned from all of that and I got back on, on path, the path that God intended me to be on. So I know when most people hear me, hear, see me or hear my name, especially right after it happened, they always think, oh, bless her heart. She's the one who lost her husband and had two children under the age of two. And most would think that was my story, tragedy. And a lot of that is true. But what happened during and after one of those are, is one of the most defining moments in my life when I felt his presence more than anything. I could tell you about my pitiful, sad life after September 10th, 2005, but that's not the important part of my story. Yes, it was the hardest and most hated day of my life that occurred that evening, but it didn't define me. I cry even writing about that now. That was and will always be the absolute worst day of my life. I can tell you about the moments leading up to that very moment Doug slipped into the arms of Jesus. I can tell you about the fear in his eyes when he knew what was happening. I can tell you about how fast and reckless I was driving to get him to the ER and how it felt like an eternity. I can tell you the last words that he said to his two-year-old daughter. Baby, do what mommy says. Put on your seatbelt. I can tell you about how he spent the last hour of his life flying a plane with Addie and getting it stuck in a tree. And I can tell you about giving him CPR all the while driving. And I can tell you the moment my 34-year-old husband, father to our two babies, died in the arms of, died in my arms at the intersection of Thomas and Cliff Gookin. I can tell you all about being alone in that tiny room in the ER by ourselves and putting Addie, my, my baby, in my lap and telling her that her daddy is with Jesus now. I could tell you word for word, everything that happened that day, everything we were wearing, everything we were doing, before Doug's heart broke and was mended by Jesus. A broken heart. That's how he died, and that's how I explained it to Addie. He had a broken heart. I told her his heart was broken, kind of like a broken hand or a broken bone, broken foot, and it couldn't be repaired. I struggled telling her, how her daddy had died because at two, you just really don't understand what a heart attack is. But what I want you to hear and know is how I was overcome by the power of Jesus, overwhelmed by his spirit and in awe and, and speechless like Peter was that day on the mountain. Love poured through those doors at, at that tiny ER room. My parents were the first there, then my sisters and brother-in-laws, my pastor, Brian, and the walls lined with each of my small group members. They scooped me up that dreadful night and carried me through the hardest and most painful time of my life. I remember vividly walking into the funeral, funeral home and seeing Doug for the first time. We were having a closed casket because I knew that's what Doug would want. I mean, he's like me. He, <laughs> I don't know, you just don't like staring down at dead people. And, and I don't care what anybody says, you don't look good dead. <laughs> so anyway, back to the story. So we walked in and they opened him up, and you'll remember this. <laughs> I immediately lost it. I looked at that poor old man that had been helping me, and I yelled, that's not how he did his hair. <laughs> and I was rude about it. <laughs> it looked awful, awful. I mean, it was all combed to the front, and 
Doug took pride in his hair and in his hair products. I was sobbing. <laughs> My mom, being the selfless, strongest, and caring mom that she is, oh, and a beautician, asked for his brush in jail. And my dad comforted me and took me out in the hallway. Three minutes later, my mom came out and said everything was good now. And it was. His hair was gelled and parted right. So, but that wasn't, that's not the defining part. It was when we were standing there and we had everybody around and we were looking at him and it was, it was us and um, his mom and sister and my dad. And I don't know. It was, there was just a peace that came over me at that very moment when I was standing there. Because earlier that, I don't know if it was that year or the year before, we were doing the um, Rick Warren Bible study. Um, the whole church was doing um, a purpose-driven life. And so Romans 8, 28, 28 came alive right then. Um, I looked at everybody and through tears and snot, I said, we're going to be okay. I said, and that's when I quoted the verse. Um, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. And that, that's when I said we're going to be okay. And my precious husband, this precious daddy, because of His Word, has get, He's given us in this verse that everything's going to be okay because we love God. And more importantly, God Doug loved God. And so He's okay and we're going to be okay. And it was just... Having that assurance is just breathtaking. I mean, even today, as I, um, yeah, it's it's pain, but it's it's not the pain that I endured then. It was, it's just a us as Christians and just us. I mean, just knowing that you're okay and you're gonna see him again. That's just that's relief in itself. Um, even though it's hard here on earth, but just knowing that that um, that. He's okay, and we're going to see him again. It's just, it's just the reassurance that, that I needed. I'd be lying if I told you that I was not mad at God and that I didn't yell at Him and throw things. Um, I'm happy to say I didn't cuss at Him. But life was hard. I had a 2-year-old and an 18-month-old, and I was a 31-year-old widow. But God. We hear that often in the Bible, but God. He took care of me. My family was and still is my rock. My church family and small group covered me. People that I didn't, didn't even know were helping me in so many ways. I can remember telling people, just don't forget about me in six weeks, and they didn't. When I say that we were loved, we were loved and still loved. I told Cindy, I said, I don't even think that we, I knew Cindy and I knew we were in church together, but her small group sent me a fruit basket with flowers. And I remember that. I mean, it's this crazy, those vivid things that you remember and just what you did. I remember sitting on the couch that night, Mary and Shanda, and <laughs> what I said. Um, and though we still kind of laugh about that today, just, just stuff like that. And that's what got me through it. Was it working for the good? It was working out, but I didn't see the good in it. And I still, I mean, I do, I still question it. The grief has turned into the grief for, for Addie and Avery. The hurt growing up with their daddy, missing donuts with dads, and daddy-daughter ball, the things that you just don't think think about, they matter. They really do. But God, He provided big time. He placed a precious, wonderful friendship between, between two little girls that turned into an awe moment from God, a speechless one. Anna Fleming and Addie were fast friends while at Cal Calvary. After Doug died, Vicki... 
And John Quokka stepped in and saved the day in so many moments, so many times. Both Addie and Avery attended the Daddy Daughter Ball with John Quokka, with John holding their hands. That was speechless. He does work for the good. God placed so many people, like I said, uh, people I would have never met. It led to a precious friend in Jackson that was going through the same thing. And actually, I was led to help her, believe it or not. Um, our families bonded, and our family became a family. Um, her friends became my friends. We vacationed with them. It was exactly what we needed at the exact right time. It's amazing to see Doug and both of our girls. I mean, it's crazy <laughs> that he, for pretty much their, I mean, their life, they, they weren't around him. Addie was for two years, but... Avery was 18 months, and she, she does not remember at all. Addie is adventurous like him. She tinkers just like him. She's always messing with something, whether she's breaking it or fixing it. She's always messing with something. And Doug was just like that. There were so many times that I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and he, he wasn't there, and I'd go out to the garage, and he was messing with his 56 T-bone. But then Avery... Our sweet little squirrel that we call her. She was only 18 months, but she is identical to her daddy. Looks just like him. She has the big cheeks, walks like him, grins like him, and is never in a hurry just like him. <laughs> Avery was so young, she didn't remember her daddy. But I will say, he could not get enough of her. She slept right under him, and he carried her in his daddy pouch everywhere we went. I could tell back then that there was a special bond building. To see her today is to see her daddy, and that is nothing but God. My heart absolutely ached for them, and it still does. It, it, it hurts. But I think back and I laugh about that year after Doug died. Remember how I told you I hated Bible school? Well, I had those two little girls in every Bible school across Tupelo, Mississippi. <laughs> we were Baptist, Methodist, Church of Christ that summer. They, it filled their days, and hey, you can't get enough Jesus, even with the watered-down Kool-Aid and the rain cookies on your fingers. <laughs> at the time of Doug's death, I was administrator at um, Baptist Hospital in Boonville, and that was about a 40-minute drive for me, so... Even though my family had stepped in and they were they were doing the, the driving back and forth and getting them to Calvary and getting them to Mimi's house, um, I just still felt like, you know, I needed to be closer. I, I spent eight wonderful years there with a wonderful company. I decided to say goodbye, and that was a very difficult goodbye. The company that I worked for, I mean, it was it's a, a billion-dollar company that um, when they found out Doug had died, they reached out to me, but there was also a conference that I was supposed to be at at that week. And my boss had said, you know, they have said they remembered you. They had a moment of silence and they respected me and gave me the time that I needed without even taking time away. Um, they were just so wonderful to me. And my boss was, he was just a godsend too. He had, he had um, given me, he had promoted me up through the company. So so needless to say, it was very hard to go. When I, in fact, when I told Ron, who was my director, um, he and his wife, Melissa, were good friends of mine and Doug's, and I mean, it was just pitiful. I mean, we sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. 
for at least 15 minutes. Um, so when I left Baptist, I went to a job closer to home. I began working at Mill Creek, where I am now, for the first go-round. I didn't stay there but about a year, and I, um, I went to work in Amory and worked in wound care, of all things. I went from behavioral health to wound care. It was interesting. It didn't smell real good, but it was interesting. <laughs> so, um, after three years, Mill Creek reached out to me wanting me to come back, and I was not interested at all. I was not fond of the company back then that Mill Creek was owned by. And um, I just didn't, they just weren't the ethical company that I wanted to tie my name to. And no price was going to get me back there at all. But then I was told that they were owned by the same company that I had worked with at Baptist. And I, I was like, heck yeah, I wanted to come back. They had so supported me so much back then that it was an easy decision. And it was just, it was, God had opened that door for me. And I mean, you know, but God. Four years after Doug's death, I meet someone and I fall head over heels in love with, but not because I wanted to. That's a whole nother story in itself. Anyway, after several calls and him not leaving me alone and just bugging me and bugging me, I finally agreed to go out with him. And I was thinking, okay, well, I'll go out with him and he'll stop calling me. Well, that didn't work. So here we are 13 years later with his, hers, and ours. Brent and I were both the happiest we had been in a long time. We got each other. We made each other laugh. We made each other love deep. Brent used to always tell me I was so blunt and brash. None of y'all have ever experienced that, I know. <laughs> but that's what he loved about me. So we were the Brady Bunch, except I was Carol Brady and Alice. Two words, laundry and grocery bill. Still today, even though the... The house is, has only had four kids. I think it's more Brent than anybody. Um, I would love to sit here and tell you that it has been 13 years of pure bliss and happiness, but I can't. Combining families is tough. Not really on us as parents, but for the kids. Our kids didn't ask to be thrown into an immediate family. Bam. You're all brothers and sisters now. So love each other. They were forced to live with and try and love some kids that they, they didn't even know, and to be honest, probably didn't want to know. It was hard, a lot of resentment and hate, hate towards each other and hate towards me and Brent. It felt bad, too. I felt bad. Maybe I felt like I was being selfish, and um, I didn't consider their feelings enough. So, I mean, it was just tough. But God, remember, then came old Jake, this tiny, <laughs> tiny burst of joy. It didn't so tiny anymore. Did something to this family. It, it, I mean, it was. Just, I mean, it was just what it what we needed. He brought us all together. He was so loved. Not at first when we told everybody that I was pregnant. Um, that was hard. Um, they were very upset. But the day that we brought him home, they wouldn't put him down. It was funny. The two the two that really didn't want that were most upset were Wyatt and Natty, and they fought over him. So he was definitely an uh-oh for me and Brent. We had zero intentions of having a baby, but God, God provided the good we so needed. Things were good for about four years, but then things got bumpy. Things were not good at all with anyone. There were a lot of tears, harsh words, and sleeping on the couch. 
things he and I both wish we could take back. It was the darkest, loneliest time of my life since the death of Doug. It was bad. I can remember my quiet time each morning begging for God to fix it, begging God to change something, change me, make my marriage better, make my marriage work, all the while allowing the devil to slide his deceitful lying ways into our marriage. It was just like checking off, okay, God, I'm praying for it. I'm praying for you to fix it. So do it. Do it. So the thing was, I was praying all that, but I didn't live it. I tried to fix the things the way I thought I should. I was trying to do it myself. I was becoming cynical. I didn't think would didn't think things would work out, or at least work out the way I wanted them to, or I thought they should. I expected the worst, and that's what I got. Our marriage was over. We were no longer the two kids, smitten with each other, laughing and just loving life. Some things happened, and it got to the point that we hated each other. I felt the hate and gave the hate. We were both hurting, and we were both hurting each other. The bluntness and brashness he had once loved was becoming a not-so-loving feature of mine. It was bad. We both filed for divorce, and it was over. It was a lonely time of life, a time full of regret, hurt, no forgiveness in sight. It was a time that I had allowed all of my faith and trust in God slip. I was revengeful and just empty. For about a month, that went on. And then one day, Brent came to me and asked that we try and work it out. And y'all know how prideful I am. <laughs> Being a prideful person that I am, I was relieved, but I wouldn't show it. I wanted so bad for it to work out, but I would never say it. He suggested we go to more counseling because we had tried counseling er earlier, but, um, but we had just walked through the motions pretty much. It was hard time for both of us, and I, can, can, I continued to allow that doubt to seep in. I continued to play the events over and over in my mind, which caused me to question at times even, and even want to throw in the towel and just continue with the divorce. We both went to Will and Brian, our pastors. We were both willing to do whatever it took to get back to how we were in 2009. We wanted to make it even better. We talked, we discussed some not-so-fun things and listened to each other when it was hard to hear the truth and the changes that you knew that you needed to make. A lot of denial on both sides. Frequent visits to see Will and Brian. Brian, and we prayed. That was almost five years ago. Today, I can honestly say we are happier than we have ever been. We continued counseling with therapists. We continued to communicate. We started putting, we started putting, putting God and each other first. I tell you that story not because it sounds like a good trial to make my story more interesting or more captivating, but for you to hear about healing and trust, about showing grace to one another. We had allowed Satan to enter our marriage and fill us with lies. He won a, a small battle that year, but Jesus won the war. The devil lost. So while we were in prepare of our marriage, you know, I was praying so hard for God to fix it. Just fix it, fix it. And one morning during my quiet time, I was, I was praying. I had done my devotion, and um, I had an aha moment. I was like, okay. I hear you. I see you. You fixed it, but you didn't fix it like I wanted it. You fixed it a way that I 
never would have wanted it. But you fixed it. He fixed it. Even though I wanted an infant stick, instant fix, <laughs> an easy fix, God fixed it his own way. I would have loved for a different way than he, he had fixed it, and I still struggle at times. I sometimes allow that doubt and the memories of that part of our marriage to creep in and almost consume me. But that moment, I realized what God had done, and my prayers were answered. I wanted to fall to my knees and cry, and I was like, wow. We have had um, to do a lot of forgiving and forgetting, a lot of changing. But in the end, it all worked out for the good. I still don't completely understand the way God works things for the good and why He does it the way He does. I just know that He does. There's a purpose in it. He made me stronger. He made me more aware. And He made me whole again. My life has been a yo-yo. Yin-yang, as one friend told me one time. It's been good, bad, good, bad, and then back good again. And most of those bads I probably created myself. Through all of this, I'm confident that I was never alone. My faith does waver at times, but it never dies. I've learned to trust Him more. I've learned to let go and let God. I've always known this. It started way back when I was a little girl in Sunday school, looking pretty as an angel. <laughs> I watched throughout my childhood and now my adulthood. My mom dive into the Word of God every morning. I've walked into my parents' house on many occasions and seen my mom reading her Bible. I've always wanted my children to feel that and see that. I saw that faith played out in my mom, and I wanted it too. Past Sunday, Will talked about what kind of wake are you making? What kind of wake are you leaving in people's lives? My mom made a huge wake in mine and my sister's. And I can only pray that I do the same in mine. All of that has supplied me the strength to overcome all of my obstacles, and they've been a lot of them. <laughs> I've learned so many good and bad things about me while writing my story. The good most definitely outweigh the bad. And through these small journeys I've talked about, I've learned of things I needed to change, things I needed to change for others and for myself. It's funny looking at my story how many times I've used it to help, to, to help others to make those not-so-bad choices. Using my disobedience, now being obedient to help others. Tina, Cindy, and I talked about simplicity and that your story doesn't have to be a lifetime movie for it to, be, to have a purpose. I have many purposes in life. We all do. I have a purpose to love and to show grace, a purpose to listen, and a person to sometimes just be quiet and just be there. I have a purpose for a struggling widow or a struggling wife just trying to hang on to her marriage. <clears throat> Talking about simplicity, I have that childlike faith. I'm not smart when it comes to Scripture, but what is important is that I have that faith. I have that relationship, and I have that trust God is in control <coughs> and that He wants us to live in hope and expectations. God prepared me through my career and mistakes allowing me to talk to my kids about everything. <laughs> so just maybe, maybe they won't take the same path that I've taken. I'm very honest and blunt, sometimes to the point where they're like, shut up, you're saying too much. Just last New Year's Eve, I did a PowerPoint for Avery and one of her friends. 
and put some stuff on there, and it was about a five-minute PowerPoint, and they listened. <laughs> they learned. They were laughing, but they listened, and they will never, ever, 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 ever forget that. If they ever, ever tell, tell them their story, tell her whatever they were going to say. One time my mom gave me a PowerPoint when I was in the 10th grade about not having sex and drinking and all that stuff. <laughs> so I also want to say this, especially working in mental health and just doing life in general. I honestly do not think I would be here today without therapy. Without a shadow of doubt, it was all God. But my therapist, goodness bless her heart, I love her and thank God for her every day. You just need somebody from the outside Somebody who doesn't know you but will get to know you and someone who will be honest, not scared to hurt your feelings. You, I mean, you just need it. She was became a roadmap for me, and I'm so, so grateful for her. So don't ever be embarrassed to go to therapy. I mean, it's just something. I mean, I still go. <laughs> um, God made me loud and truthful, blunt and brash at times. He chose me who I am even through my disobedience instead of obedience. I'm not alone, and He likes to surprise me with His goodness. And most of them are good surprises, but nothing like I could ever imagined or wanted. I'm a sinner all day long, and I cuss. But He loves me, this I know. He is never going to leave me, even when I think my way is better. And He will always, always work for the good in me and show me the grace that I do not deserve. You know, as I said at the intro to this story, I just felt like Gemma was so endearing, just her humility and how she told her story. And, you know, one of the things, a phrase that she kept saying over and over again was, but God. And I think it was just a great reminder for so many of us who are walking through trials, walking through situations where we're like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. She always followed up with, but God ended up doing this. And just the goodness of God, how, how her story and all the layers that she had pointed us back to he does work things mm-hmm. for good. His word, she kept referencing that scripture. His word tells us that. And so often, as she's, you know, said too, fixing it, she wanted it fixed a certain mm-hmm. way. Right. Mm-hmm. But God fixed it the best way for her. Yeah. You know, that's the part that really stuck out to me is when she said God had answered my cries for help, just not how I wanted it. And how often is that our life that we're, God, <laughs> I want it my way. I want it yeah. my way. Thank you so much for being here. And now I want it this, this, and this. And Linda, you actually even referenced <laughs> this last night. Uh, she and I were together and you referenced this very topic of, okay, God, I know you're present. I know you're here. Now, here's what I want you to do. Yeah, right. And <laughs> that's what really Gemma was saying is God had answered. He had shown up for her, but she couldn't see it because it wasn't in the way she had asked. And, and one thing that I loved about Gemma was just her, she kept saying, I'm loud, truthful, blunt, and brash. <laughs> I mean, she was, what you see is what yeah. you get. And so many times we think, oh, I'm not worthy. I can't. I can't share my story. I cuss a little bit. <laughs> she said that, um, and I just appreciated her realness and and how how honest she was. I, I think we edited a little bit of her emotional pause mm-hmm. out, but when she paused and got choked up 
talking about her mom mm-hmm. and just the she referenced the wake that yeah. her mom had left. And, and we've talked a lot at Storytellers about legacy and just how Gemma didn't know that she would be widowed so early, but her foundation of faith really stood out and how her mother had left that legacy mm-hmm. and, and, and it truly spoke to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Lindy, I think that that is really a mom's heart. You know, you want to leave a legacy for your children to see you being in his word. But but the thing about uh, Gemma that I love so much is that her brashness or her realness comes across in her faith. Right. You know, she's yes. just very real and blunt and honest about it. And to me, there's, I'm going to use the word again, endearing. That's right. Of just, it's a magnet. It, it, yes. Mm-hmm. Of just, you know, it's one thing to just know scripture and be able to just say, reference scripture and tell people they need to believe something. But hers is just from the heart. I love the PowerPoint presentation that she spoke about <laughs> giving her daughter. I was like, I can was you like, email that to me, I love that. And she was so right that her daughters will remember that forever. forever. Katie, you know, you're right that how she was talking about that she was brash and bold. Mm-hmm. I know there are listeners out there. I know some of you out there can really identify to Gemma. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can't identify to some other stories or some other ways of women's faith. And this is your story to go, that's me. I felt like I wasn't worthy. I'm too much. I'm too loud. I'm I'm just too much. Mm-hmm. And you're never too much. Mm-hmm. You're never not worthy enough to share. You've never done too many bad things or said too many bad words or lived your life in such a way that you're not worthy of sharing what God has done. Absolutely. And and let's not miss the story of God redeeming their marriage, Mm -hmm. saving their marriage. He was there all along. And and just her and Brent being willing to go back to counseling and to really fight for their blended family, the Brady Bunch. Someone that grew up loving Carol Brady. And, you know, I am just going to plug Patreon one more time just with the audio devotion because one of the things that Gemma spoke so much about is just being speechless and in awe of God's presence. And I felt like throughout her story, she shared moments of that. As Lindy said, we edited out some pauses that she had in her story. And I think those pauses were where she saw God really just show up in her life and feel His presence. And quite honestly, I think that we need to do that more often in our lives, to pause and magnify His name and know, hey, He's shown up in the past and He's going to show up again. And that's what the devotion on Patreon is going to be about. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged today. If this is your situation, or if you have a friend in this situation, we ask that you pass this story along. It's amazing how God uses stories to encourage and build our faith. And maybe this is the faith builder you needed today. So thanks for listening. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.